Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Hi, everybody. We are live and welcome to our second class for this year's learning series, Medical Innovations in Women's Health, as related to the field of Tara Samashpacha. My name is Chasi Rifkin, and I represent Mikvah.org. I am so privileged tonight to um, welcome you to this session. We're going to be having Dr. Sharon Safdie, PT, who runs the Blossom Physical Therapy in Brooklyn and has serviced and helped thousands of women in their with their health and, and as it relates to intimacy. So many times there could be all kinds of difficulties which she'll get into and she's able to be there to help us. So we are so fortunate to have her join us. Before we get started, I wanna just mention that you know, for all the latest updates on all of our events, please either join our WhatsApp broadcast, 732-534-2948 to be added to that. Follow us on Instagram at mymikva or on Facebook, mikvah.org for all the latest happenings, events, upcoming courses, and everything that mikvah.org has to offer you. So, um, and also as well, we have been able to offer this series for free, but it doesn't come by itself. We welcome opportunities to help us. Please donate at mikvah.org forward slash donate if you enjoyed today's presentation and help keep future events happening. So thank you so much, Dr. Safdie. Um, we're about to get started. I have one more note, of course, and that is for questions for today's session. Please message them. If you're on Facebook Live or um, or you're watching us on the stream, you might be able to see a box there for questions. You can go ahead and write it there. I'll see it. If not, please message me at 732-534-2948. After Dr. Safdie presents, we will then go ahead with questions and answers. So. Take it away, Dr. Safdie. Discuss, and it's a pleasure to be able to bring awareness, education, and knowledge to women about this topic. Um, the goal of tonight's lecture is really to discuss what the pelvic floor is, conditions that can exist in that region, and what you can do to help yourself to maintain a healthy pelvic floor. Um, Okay, so I broke up the lecture into four sections for clarity. Uh, we're going to start with the anatomy and the functions of the pelvic floor. Then we're going to talk about some of the causes to what causes dysfunction. We'll um, then go into some of the symptoms that people will complain of or the conditions that, um, that exist. And in the end, we'll talk about a treatment that we do as therapists or what you can do to help yourself. So I always like to start with the very beginning and, and pretend that, you know, there are people there that may not have any awareness whatsoever. So this may be repetitive to some of you, but I always think it's important to start at the bare bones. So here's a skeleton. Um, we have at the top a head and a rib cage. In the middle where you see that circle is, is the pelvis. And underneath the pelvis, we have the legs. When we zoom into the pelvis, we break it up into the different bones. So on the two sides, we have what we call the hip bones. 
At the front, we have the pubic bones, and in the back, we have the sacrum and the tailbone. Together, these bones create the pelvis. This is a front view, so we're looking at a woman from the front, and now we're going to put a woman lying on her back with her legs open, and this is a view you would see of the bones. In the front, it's the same bones that we were just looking at. In the front, we have the pubic bone. In the back, we have that sacrum and tailbone. And so what I like about this picture is I like for people to see that the bones create this diamond shape where, where it's empty in the middle. There's no bones in the center of the pelvis. Um, what fills this area is muscle. Uh, we also have ligaments, arteries, nerves, veins, and a lot of other structures, but it's it's all what we call connective tissue. There is no bony structure within the center of the pelvis. As a physical therapist, I wanna break up the muscles for you. So we're gonna break them up into three layers. Layer one, which is up here, that's the most superficial layer or the, the outer layer. These are, these are the most superficial. So they're most on the surface and they're responsible for opening and closing. The second layer is what we call the urogenital diaphragm. And the third layer is the deep layer of the muscles, which are more supportive in nature. And you can see that they start here from the front and end in the back. So one more view of, of the female. This is a side view. And um, we're looking at the pubic bone here in the front and the tailbone here. Here's the sacrum and then the tailbone here in the back. And the muscles go from front to back. Piercing through these muscles, we have three major structures. We have the bladder in the front, we have the uterus and the vaginal canal, and then we have the rectum and the anus in the back. And so I like this view because I like for people to see that the muscles have a relationship with the three systems. And so when we're going to discuss pelvic floor dysfunction, it can have an effect on any one of these three organs. What do the pelvic floor muscles do? Um, it's what's nice about the pelvic floor muscles is that we have a, a cute mnemonic that we say there's five functions of the pelvic floor and, and it's the five S's. The first is to support. Um, so when we saw those deep muscles, they help to support the organs that are above it, um, specifically the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. But it also supports all the other organs that are that are higher up, the intestines, the livers, the kidneys. That this is the bottom of, of the sac that's holding everything up. Um, they act as a sphincter. A sphincter is like a door that opens and closes to allow urine and feces to go in and out. Um, and uh, they're involved in intimacy. They are involved in stability. So those, um, those exercise trainers that are out there or those people that exercise will, will know that the, the abdominals work together with the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, and what we call the multifidus in the spine to help give us stability in order to walk and to move into function. Um, and the last one is what we call a sump pump where the pelvic floor acts to help as a pump to, to get fluid to go from the pelvis back up to the heart. Okay, so let's talk about some of the causes of why the pelvic floor can become dysfunctional. When we look at muscle in general, and specifically pelvic floor muscles in this case, muscles can either be too loose or too tight. And when we're looking at loose muscles, we're looking at things that, things like prolapse, which is when the organs can, can fall heavy in the pelvis, uh, incontinence, which is leaking, um, or people who are too loose may experience pain. 
Um, if the muscles are too tight, then we're looking at things like vulvodynia or vaginismus, which are related to intimacy. Um, people may complain of urinary urgency or frequency or bowel urgency and frequency, which means they go to the bathroom very frequently or get a very strong urge to go to the bathroom. They may complain of interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome where they get um, a painful bladder, constipation, chronic pelvic pain. Um, these are things that are related to a tight pelvic floor. Now, um, a lot of times when we talk about urinary things, intimacy things, people will say, why does a physical therapist treat this? Um, what's your relationship as a physical therapist to this area? So um, we, we spoke earlier, right? We said that the head and the ribcage are on top and the pelvis is in the middle and the legs are underneath. And so when we're looking at pelvic floor dysfunction, the pelvis is in the middle, but there's always a relationship as to what's attaching up at the ribcage to the pelvis or what's coming from the legs up to the pelvis and its relationship to those muscles. And so a physical therapist's job is to determine what's causing the muscles to become dysfunctional. Why, when this person, when this person is presenting is with tightness, what may be driving that? So I, I put here an example. This is not everyone, but this is just a good example for, for, for visual. Um, the, this is a, this is the bony skeleton that we were looking at. And this is a person who pronates. Pronates means turning their foot in. So if we look at the bottom here, this person has their, their foot, um, their arch flattening, which can in turn cause the knee to rotate and the hip to rotate, which causes the pelvis to drop and then the rib cage on the opposite side to, to descend. And so here, you know, this patient may come in with a pelvic floor complaint saying it hurts me with intimacy and we'll find tightness on one side more than the other. And the question is a physical therapist to say, what is your relationship of the pelvis to the rest of your body? What is causing the tightness here? Let's get to the source of the problem at the same time that we want to relieve your pain. Okay, so I, I, I put a couple of slides here just for you to, to further see that relationship through a muscular perspective. So here's a simple picture that I just put together and here's a real anatomical picture. So these are what we call, this, these are the muscles of the abdominal wall um, and this is where the muscles start and this is where the muscles end. So the muscles start up in the rib cage and they attach to the bottom of the pelvis. And so if there's a problem coming up from the rib cage, it can, because the muscles attach here and then attach to the pelvis, there can be uh, a tension pulling up and creating that tightness in the pelvic floor. This is one example. Here we have the diaphragm. That's another muscle that we look at. And the diaphragm, although in this picture you see it doesn't, it doesn't literally connect to the pelvis, but the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work as a unit in breathing. So in this animation, you'll be able to understand that. Here we have the diaphragm up top and the pelvic floor muscles on the bottom. And when you're just standing, this is basically what they look like. Um, when you inhale, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor come down. When you exhale, which is breathing out, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor rise. And so even though the diaphragm doesn't necessarily attach to the pelvis, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor are working together throughout your day consistently. And so when we're looking again at function, we wanna say, is the diaphragm related to why the pelvic floor is tight or loose? The last muscle I put here, just because it's another obvious one, is, is the erector spine or the muscles of the, of the spine in the back. And so we can see here that the muscles start up at the head and the neck, 
um, go through the rib cage and attach at the pelvis. And we can even see in this picture that muscles from the from the pelvis come down into the hips and the back. And so it just reinforces that relationship that we were discussing. Um, okay, we're going to go into some symptoms that people will complain about. We're going to go into some conditions. And before I do this, I always like to say that, you know, it's it, it seems a little bit overwhelming to hear, wow, like all these things can be wrong. Um, but first of all, it, it's, it's definitely something to know that it, these things can be treated and can be worked on. And not everybody has everything or can get everything. So it's not, the I, I don't want everybody to walk out panicking and saying, wow, there's so much that can go wrong. But it's more enlightening saying, well, like there are things that can go on, but we can take care of it. And there's something that we can do about it. And thank God I do or don't have these things. Um, okay. So when it comes to intimacy, uh, what are some things that people will come in complaining of? So some people will say, oh, it, this is, you know, at the beginning when they're first getting married, oh, it hurts me to do petit or I can't use a tampon. Um, once they're married, they must say, I have, I have difficulty with penetration. It feels like he's hitting a wall or it burns when he's first coming in. Or they may say, I'm okay when it comes in, but it burns terribly after. Um, they may say it hurts when he's moving back and forth. Uh, or they'll complain of an itching, a rawness, a stinging. They'll complain of pressure or even difficulty walking the next day. Now, these are these are specific to intimacy when we looked at the pelvic floor muscles earlier we saw that they go from front to back and so being that they have that relationship some of the other things we might find when people are complaining about painful intimacy is the urinary urgency and frequency or incontinence or they may say i have incomplete emptying or i have constipation they may complain of pain during pregnancy pain with intimacy specifically during pregnancy or they may describe burning pain or, or aching pain. And these are things that um, the common denominator here is really this, this pelvic floor tightness. So here's a list of the diagnoses we're going to go through. I started with some of the things relating to, to severe tightness, and then we went into, um, we're going to go into childbirth and, and looseness. Okay, so dyspareunia is the medical term for pain with intimacy. And it's, um, it's just a fancy name. And when somebody says dyspareunia, we have to define, is it does it hurt when he first comes in? Does it hurt when there's deep motion? Does it burn? Um, and so the two major diagnoses that we're going to differentiate are vaginismus with some vestibulodynia. Um, a lot of times some of these um, words are thrown around. So I'd like for you to walk out understanding what these things mean. Okay. So vulvodynia, more specifically vestibulodynia, um, just means, if you break up the words, um, vulva means the opening of the vaginal canal, and dynia means pain. So it just means pain of the vulva. Um, and so vulvodynia or vestibulodynia is broken up into primary and secondary. Um, some of the things you'll hear with patients who have vulvodynia is burning, itching, stinging, some of these like sharp, strong words. It feels like a knife. It feels very um, nerve-like complaints. And so there are multiple causes to why they may have this. Um, one of them is muscular. Um, there are other causes to this, but when you know when you come in to see the therapist, our job is to determine this is coming from a muscular cause or this is coming from hormonal or from extra nerve endings or chronic yeast infections. And so that's our job to figure out what we can treat and what we have to refer out to have treated. Um, 
I oh I put a great animation here for you guys. So so when we're looking at vulvodynia or vestibulodynia from a muscular perspective, um, why do they complain of burning pain? What does that come from? So if you see the little squares here, these two squares um, in black, this is uh, these are just muscles that I pasted onto the picture, but it's not anatomically accurate. But I put it here just to to give you an example. So when the muscles get tight, you see that the muscles are shrinking, they block the blood flow to the area. And when blood flow is blocked to the area, um, the natural consequence of blocked blood flow is a release of lactic acid. So these yellow dots here represent lactic acid release uh, because the muscles are restricting the flow. And when lactic acid is released into the area, it creates all pain in this entire area. Um, and so that's what from a muscular perspective, that's what could be causing this burning pain um, in the vulva. Now, vaginismus is different because they are not, the patients are not gonna complain of these like burning and sharp words um, just with like they would with vulvodynia. Here it's more um, a tightness, difficulty coming in. I can't use tampon, I can't do busy cut, um, but it's more of a, of a difficulty or hitting a wall um, and, and that's because vaginismus is this involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. So um, what's interesting is that vaginismus's definition was updated recently um, in, in the book of diagnostics that it's, they say it's both a physical and a psychological disorder um, as it, is, it exhibits muscle spasms um, and fear. So it's not, it's not one or the other, it's usually a combination of both. Um, and so they did a study, this was just like interesting and it's good for you to, to know this in the background, that when they, they had these women with uh, sensors on the pelvic floor and when, when the women would hear scary music or something that sounded threatening, um, the scientists would see that the pelvic floor muscles would start working. And so what that tells us is that your, your, mus your pelvic floor muscles do have a relationship to what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Um, and so, so it, so when, when someone's spasming in response to stress or anxiety, we need to control that, control that emotional response. So it's not just about flexibility, but it's also about addressing the emotional piece of it. So, um, if someone, uh, if, if someone, if we're working with someone and someone's experiencing tightness, some people say, oh, don't worry about it. There's nothing wrong. Just relax. And I find that the word relax makes people feel more tense because they want to relax, but they can't. Um, and so something that works, and this is not, you know, some people do need to be referred out to for emotional help, but, um, but if it's, if it's something that if you want to try to help yourself, something you could try to think about is giving your, um, giving yourself a positive command because your brain is, is nervous. So it shuts down and says, Oh, I'm going to close up. And so instead of saying, relax, that's passive. That doesn't give you anything to do. So instead, um, I like to tell them to think open um, because that's just something that you need to do. So you think about a flower, you'll think about a circle or anything that will be opening and it helps to decrease that, um, that instinct to just close. Okay, um, now, endometriosis is a condition that um, women will have. It's when the endo endometrium is the inside of the uterus and it's a special kind of tissue that can contract when females get their periods. So 
Endometriosis is a condition when the endometrial tissue is found outside of the uterus. Um, and, and so during a, a, a cycle, um, these women who have endometriosis will experience severe pain, um, severe, severe pain. Their bed band there, it's, it's, it's not just, oh, I, I have my menses now, I need to take a mitle. It's, it's severe, um, painful periods. And because all that endometrial tissue is contracting at the same time as, as the menses. And so these women may experience deep pain um, with intimacy, uh, infertility, and um, and any other any of the other hip pain or or bowel issues, depending on where the endometrial tissue is found. Um, and so the endo the research on endometriosis is growing tremendously. Um, but um, what causes that pain most of the time is that the the um, endometrial tissue when it's contracting outside of the uterus, it creates the scarring, and so it limits mobility and can create. Okay, um, constipation. So it's interesting to know, um, it's just good for knowledge, that normal bowel movements for people is ranges from three times a day to three times a week. And that's a tremendous range, but all of that is considered normal. Um, so constipation can be related to pelvic floor muscle tension. Um, and so if somebody's having difficulty uh, pushing out their bowels or straining a lot, um, that uh, that's just something to know that can be related to pelvic floor muscle tightness. And so um, this is something we're looking for when people come in complaining of pain with intimacy. We want to know what their what their uh, posterior, the back of their pelvic floor, is doing. Um, if that if they're constipated, it's going to have an effect potentially on intimacy. And so what we recommend here um, is you know we work on their diet, but. Uh, something that you can do is really uh, try to increase your fiber and water. So if you're going to eat um, eat fiber or take fiber, then you must be supplementing with plenty of water. Um, now, in all of these cases, whether it's vulvodynia, vestibulodynia, endometriosis, or constipation, anything where we know about tightness, we don't want to be doing Kegels. Kegels will further tighten the area. Um, for those who don't know, a Kegel is a pelvic floor muscle exercise where um, they describe it most commonly as stopping your urine midstream. So, so they say like pull up or pull the elevator up. Any that that cue that's not something we want to be doing when people have pain with intimacy. Okay. Um, oh, this is a great one. So childbirth. So a lot of people will come and saying, "Well, I was told that after I had a baby, I'd be fine." So I just waited, and I, I just you know, in this opportunity of awareness, I want everyone to know that. Childbirth is not the solve all in something with tightness. Um, why, why? Why? So let's logically, to make sense, if a baby came out, then I should have no problem with intimacy. But what happens during pregnancy is that, uh, and childbirth is that we get all these hormones to help us deliver this baby. Um, the easiest one to understand is a hormone called relaxin, and relaxin um, opens up our pelvis and helps our ligaments relax to allow the baby to come out. So during, um, during delivery, we have relaxin, we have oxytocin, we have all these wonderful hormones to open up our pelvis and to help the baby come out. When childbirth is over, those hormones disappear, they're not there, they're gone, the baby is out. And so now our pelvic floor is left with the, is left with the delivery, right? Which thank God is a miracle and it's beautiful, but our body did go through a process to get that baby out. So now we're left with scarring or 
or just the soreness from delivery and the muscles are like, well, I don't know what just happened. I was tight before and that was overwhelming for me and the muscles tighten up sometimes even more than they were before the pregnancy. So it's always good to take care of this before childbirth. Um, and so some of the things we'll go through now are related to things that can happen during childbirth and can affect intimacy. So um, symphysis pubis dysfunction, or some people call it symphysis pubis diastasis, is when the pubic bones here at the bottom, um, they, they separate during the delivery or even in pregnancy um, for the growth of the baby. And normally after delivery, the bones slide back together um, should be able to slide back together. But if they don't and they stay separated, that's called symphysis pubis dysfunction. Um, these patients will feel severe pain in the pubic area, which is that front area. They'll have difficulty going from sit to stand or walking or rolling in bed. And so when it comes to intimacy, they'll have difficulty rolling their leg out to the side um, or, or positioning themselves because the pubic bones are moving and they're not in that stable state. Um, okay, coccidinia is a fancy name for pain in the tail, uh, pain in the coccyx, or which is also known as the tailbone. Um, and so, here patients will feel pain with sitting, um, or pain with going from sit to stand, or difficulty with bowel movements. Um, so some of the things we'll do to work on this is we'll recommend a, a tailbone pillow. They could get uh, a special donor pillow that they can sit in. Um, to help alleviate the pain with sitting. Um, and then we can always do stretching um, and work on the positioning of the tailbone. Um, diastasis rectus abdominis. This um, this has gotten a tremendous amount of popularity in the last, I would say, two years. Um, it, 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 thank God there's been much more awareness. Um, it's also known as DRA. So this picture kind of shows what um what a dra is and so this is let's look at let's look at normal um here on the right so normal would be that the muscles are attached um without any significant spacing uh diastasis means that this linea alba this white tissue here separates um and doesn't return to its normal state um it can happen with a pregnancy it can happen with obesity um and so some of the things, some of the things to um, work on here is strengthening the abdomen, aligning the ribcage to get the muscles to come back to their normal length. Um, patients with diastasis might also complain of heaviness in the pelvis or difficulty with intimacy because when the abdominal, we, we learned earlier that the abdominal wall, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm work together as a unit for that core. And so if the abdominals are weak, then the pelvic floor and the diaphragm need to compensate for that weakness, and so they may get tight, creating pain with intimacy. Um, here's a picture of the different kinds of diastases. Um, so it can be, you know, more central. It could be lower. It could be upper. All of these are still considered diastases. Um, we're looking to see if your fingers can fit through your abdomen with a head lift. That would be that would be the test for a diastasis. Okay. Scar tissue. So normally, um, when anybody gets a cut, even it could be like a small paper cut, what happens is um, white blood cells come into the area to close the wound. Um, and so we want scar tissue to build up because we want to close the wound, but the body is in such a rush to close it that scar tissue just lays down very quickly in an unorganized fashion. 
And so what happens is it, it comes, it sticks down, and it's a very sticky type of, of tissue. And if the scar tissue is just left alone, sometimes it can there can be a lot of scar tissue and it can create pain with intimacy, specifically with an episiotomy if somebody was cut or if they tore and they had stitches, sometimes the scar tissue lays down very quickly. We don't, they don't take care of it and, and intimacy can continuously hurt um, because scar tissue is a very rigid type tissue. So I like to describe it like Laffy Taffy. So if we take Laffy Taffy out in the summertime and we stretch it, we mold it and it's hot, it's very easy to play with it. So we can mold it into any shape that we want. And then we bring the Laffy Taffy in and we stick it in the freezer. So if that Laffy Taffy, the way you stuck it in the freezer, when you open the freezer an hour later, you're going to have your Laffy Taffy stuck in that position and it stays that way. Um, and if you happen to put it in the freezer when it was warm and it was it was stuck to other things around it, it'll probably come out still stuck to whatever it's stuck to because it's very sticky. So Laffy Taffy is very similar. I mean, scar tissue is very similar to Laffy Taffy because it lays down. You can mold it however you want when it's hot, but then when it gets cold, it sticks to everything around it and it and it gets very hard. It gets very hard to work with. So what we do is we come in and we soften the tissue and, and we warm it up. We warm up the scar tissue and we, and we soften it so that we can organize it and straighten it out to give it back its flexibility. Now, we spoke about episiotomies and, and tears, but we also have scar tissue and C-sections. And these are, these are things that we want to bring awareness to, that if somebody has a scar, after the doctor says your scar is healed, it's something that you do want to work on and you want to be mobilizing and you want to be taken care of, um, but you have to make sure the doctor says that the scar is fully, fully healed. Okay, so C-section, we spoke about in scar massage, rubbing your scar from um, side to side on a C-section scar can begin four to six weeks, depending on when your doctor says it's fully healed, and we want to iron out and straighten out that scar tissue. Um, prolapse. So we said prolapse usually presents with weakness. Um, Prolapse means that the organs, whether it's uh, the bladder, the uterus, the cervix, the, the rectum, are, are very loose within the vaginal canal and they fall heavy within, um, within the vagina. So patients will come in and say like, I feel a pressure, I feel something there when I wipe. Um, and so, so what's happening is that the stability in the pelvis loose became loose right we said those muscles the pelvic floor muscles are responsible for stability and so when they become loose the the organs become heavy and they don't have the support they used to have now in the recent more um developed research they're finding that prolapse is also partially from the way people breathe and the way they hold themselves in their posture um which is is more for treatment but um the idea is that in intimacy if somebody has a prolapse they may feel that Things are um, things are in the way, and 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 my goal is for you to know that you shouldn't be afraid um, in a in a context of prolapse um, to be intimate. Um, it's always good to get it checked by your doctor, um, but it's not it's not something that's that's dangerous for intimacy. Okay, now bracing. Um, it depends. Bracing is is very independent. I don't like to say, oh, you know, if you have this, then you should brace. Um, but it's an option of something that we can look at depending on what you're experiencing. Okay, so what do we do when patients come, like if a patient needs to be seen in therapy, what does pelvic floor therapy entail? 
Um, so the first thing you should know is that we really try to take a multidisciplinary approach where we like to be in touch with the MDs or with the psychologists or social workers that are working with the patient. And we want to give them um, this holistic approach where we're working at it from all ends. Um, at an evaluation, uh, we, when they come in, we're going to ask them all the questions. And so our questions are going to be related to all the system, the urinary system, the valve system, the intimacy questions. We want to know what's going on in the pelvic floor as a whole. Um, and so we're going to ask very detailed questions in all those in all those parts. We're going to examine them. We're going to look at their posture. We're going to look at their strength. We're going to work on them internally, externally. And so um, it's just something that you know, if you were to ever need to see pelvic floor you should know that you will probably be examined internally. Um, it's not painful. We're very gentle, um, and um, and and we kind of work to what you're uh, comfortable with. What are the techniques that we use? These are super independent. It depends on what the patient comes in with. There's no formula in therapy, if this, then that, um, depending on what you're presenting with. And you know, no two patients are exactly the same. So we're gonna do different techniques depending on what you come in with. I love this picture. I know it's a little graphic, but I find it to be so clear as to what we do. So here you're looking from the outside. You see the, you see the therapist's hands. Um, putting their finger internally, working on these muscles at the opening. So if somebody has vaginismus or if somebody has pain with intimacy with penetration, we're going to be working on these muscles at the opening um, with our fingers. And it's not such a, it's not such deep work. You can see um, it's pretty, it's pretty superficial. Um, then here's a deeper picture where we're coming to the deep muscles. And so if somebody has pain with deep thrusting, this is something that um, you could see the finger inside pushing here, stretching the deep muscles. Dilators are tools that we use to for the patients to take home. So if we work on them internally, dilators are something that, that you guys can do um, after to stretch yourself and to maintain some of the work that we've stretched you with. Visceral manipulation is a technique um, to mobilize some of the organs. Um, we could give you some some stretches. These these are these are nice um, stretches just to be aware of. Some in a child's pose, um, which is the first one here. This one where you're sitting in a butterfly, stretching um, the legs wide to help with painful intimacy. Um, the backs of the legs here. Uh, this is also pretty good for patients with tailbone pain or, or pain with intimacy. This is a piriformis stretch, um, stretching out the back muscles. Um, and this is a hip flexor stretch. So the stretch is actually in this leg, in the back leg that's being pulled. Um, okay, lubricants. This is super important. Um, a lot of people don't know that KY jelly is an alcohol-based lubricant. And so... Um, patients who have people who have very sensitive skin may be very irritated by the alcohol and the KY jelly. So um, we recommend usually water-based or silicone-based lubricants. Um, the ones you know we recommend mostly are slippery stuff, which is a water-based one, or Uberlube, which is a silicone-based one. Um, there are plenty of others, but you want to make sure that you get something that's glycerin-free, paraben-free, so that we're not exposing the sensitive skin of the vulva, of the vaginal opening, to um, any extra chemicals. 
Um, if somebody wants more of a, of a natural uh, product, we can recommend coconut oil or olive oil. Okay, um, self-care of the vulva. So this people find to be a, a little bit shocking or like I wish I heard, I wish I knew. Um, the, the vulva, which is the opening, um, is made out of, made of very sensitive tissue. Um, and so we want to avoid, first of all, using soap in the area. Um, people will say, well, I have to, I have to clean it. I need soap. I'm going to smell otherwise. And so the reason that they're feeling, um, smelly is because the body naturally has odor removing bacteria. And when we use soap, we wipe away all the naturally, the natural bacteria that's there to remove the odor. So when people use soap, they'll always need to use soap and they'll consistently smell because they took out the bacteria that, that is there to help remove the odors. So what we tell them is that, yes, for the first two weeks, it's going to be challenging because the bacteria needs to regrow. But once it regrows, then the area is, it's like a self-cleaning oven. It cleans itself. So you don't need to use soap to clean it, but you should wipe it with warm water in the shower and your hands, but no soap. Um, along, along those lines, we recommend to use unscented toilet paper. Um, also, no fabric softeners on underwears or towels that they're going to use for the shower. Um, and then in terms of, you know, removing a bathing suit as soon as, you know, you're done, as soon as you're done swimming. And another thing that's, that people find surprising is that they should, it's really recommended to use 100% cotton menstrual pads because some of the pads, um, the basic pads that we use are very irritating to the vulva and they want to say like, why during my period I'll feel itchy and irritated and it's probably because of the pads you're using. Okay. Um, so... I brought this picture up again. I know we keep talking about this, but I just want it to be so clear that when the muscles start from front to back, we're, we're looking at bladder and bowel issues that can be related related to this topic. So some of the things I'm going to teach you now are related to urinary and bowels, but they have a direct effect on intimacy because if the muscles are healthy from front to back, then it promotes a healthier, intimate life. Um, so in terms of urinary issues, going to the bathroom just in case is the worst thing to be doing. What we do when we go to the bathroom just in case is we teach the bladder that it can empty before it's full. And so what happens is it creates this vicious cycle of I need to go to the bathroom very very frequently because I always go just in case. So your brain thinks that it can go before it's full. Um, and so it starts to give you the urge earlier. Um, and so what you know if you don't do this, then please don't start doing it. But a lot of people say, oh. Before I leave my house, I go to the bathroom. And then when I get to school, if they're a teacher, I go to the bathroom. And then when I'm finished, I go to the bathroom because I'm afraid to go home. We don't have, just in case, on the way, I stop at the supermarket. That's going to the bathroom just in case, and it's unnecessary. Your body will give you the urge when it's time to go, and you can go when you get the urge to go. And if you don't consistently go just in case, you will be able to hold it for a, a decent amount of time to get to the bathroom. Okay. Squatting over a toilet seat is also... It, it, it's the worst thing for your pelvic floor. And patients hate using public bathrooms, but I tell them, if you need to, then please just put the toilet paper on the toilet. 
um, and then sit because squatting tenses your pelvic floor muscles and then you're trying to open to allow the urine out and so now you're fight you're fighting yourself you're tensing and then you're trying to urinate and so it creates this tension in the pelvic floor that's not healthy um, in terms of fluid intake you want to take in half of your body weight in ounces um, and so you could just calculate that whatever you weigh you divide it uh, in two and then you count how many cups that would be the normal amount of times to go to the bathroom is between every three to four hours, which comes out to five to seven times a day. Um, so that's normal urinary frequency. Um, some things that can irritate the bladder, or which may cause you to go more often than you would like, would be anything acidic, tomato sauce, coffee, soda, and a big one um, that people don't know about are artificial sweeteners. Okay, um, bowel issues. So we spoke earlier about constipation and we mentioned that if you um, have difficulty with the bathroom, you want to um, you wanna take in fiber. Now fiber is a neutralizer. So if people are constipated, they want to take in fiber with lots and lots of water. If people are much softer, then they can also take fiber with less water to harden the stool. And so we want to get that balance between the water and the fiber. Um, if somebody is, is, is constipated, we tell them to avoid the brat diet, which is bananas, rice, apples, and toast, um, because that hardens your soul. Okay, let's look at this picture. So sitting on the toilet, um, the way we sit on the toilet can help us pass our feces easier. Um, the, the, the first picture on, on the left is normal sitting. So when we're sitting in, on a chair, um, the, the angle, so, okay, so we're looking at a side view, sorry, let me orient you, we're looking at a side view, this is the rectum and the anus, and these are the deep pelvic floor muscles. So when we're sitting, you see this, this horseshoe-shaped muscle? This horseshoe-shaped muscle um, slings around the rectum, creating, creating a tightness there. And it should be there because it, it holds us in when we have to go to the bathroom. But when we're on the toilet, if we put our knees higher than our hips and ourselves in a squatting position, then the muscle slackens and it makes it much easier for you to pass your bowel movement. So some person decided to create a stool that fits perfectly around the toilet um, and separates your feet just wide enough to allow you to, pay, to go to the bathroom easier. Now, you don't, it's called a squatty potty. Um, you don't need to get a squatty potty. You can also use yoga blocks, or some people will tell me, I turn my nagavasa cups upside down, or I'll, you know, whatever you can put to get your feet, your knees higher than your hips is very helpful um, when having a bowel movement. Okay. Um, sleeping with a pillow between your legs, with between your knees and ankles, uh, is something that everybody should know about at every age um, because it keeps you aligned throughout the night. So we're sleeping five, six, seven, eight hours a night, depending on how much you sleep. And so we want that time in sleep to restore our body um, and to give us the energy for the next day. If we're not, so if we look at the top picture, we see that this is a person laying down and their two knees are on each other, which is the normal, like if you're sleeping on your side, this would be the normal alignment. And it puts pressure on the knee, on the hip, and at the SI joint. This is the sacrum. The, the, the joint in the lower back. When you put a pillow between your knees and ankles, we can see how it gives you that alignment and so your pelvis can actually rest when you're sleeping at night. 
Um, so this is a great thing to try. Now, patients will always tell me, I tried it, the pillow fell out, I'm not comfortable with it. I get it. So first of all, if it falls out, it's okay. We'd always rather you start with something and start with something and if it falls out, it falls out. But at least you're getting a couple of hours aligned. Um, if you're not comfortable with it, it does take time. It's something new and you know, you just want to go to sleep, I agree, but it, with time, you'll get used to it. Um, so it's a, a, an investment worth making. Okay. Um, so we spoke earlier about prolapse, diastasis, um, pubic symphysis, uh, separation. One of the main muscles that we like to work on um, are, are the transver transverse abdominis. So um, the transverse abdominis is the, the muscle in your stomach. It goes from your spine and slings around to the front. Um, and so pulling your stomach muscles in as if you're putting a tight skirt on or zipping up a tight skirt is the way that we cue people to activate their transverse. Um, and this is, in addition to the pelvic floor, this gives you stability. Another thing we work on a lot that this is just, these are things that are good for you to be aware of, um, is diaphragmatic breathing. So when you when you take a breath, um, I don't know if you remember, at the beginning we showed you a picture of how when you breathe in, your pelvic floor relaxes, and when you breathe out, your pelvic floor comes up. So we want to restore these normal mechanics of breathing. Um, and, so, and so when you breathe in, we want you to get this nice wide belly breath. Um, and so your abdomen should expand as you breathe in. When you breathe out, all the air is going out of your body. We don't need extra space in your belly. So your belly should go in when you breathe. So if you try, if you try putting your hands on your belly now, if you take a breath in, you should feel the belly expanding. And if you take a breath out, if you breathe out, then you should feel the belly coming in. And that should be the way you're breathing. If you find that it's not that way, then with practice and understanding this, it'll you'll change that habit. Okay. Um, so to summarize, pelvic floor therapy is, uh, is a field that treats pelvic floor dysfunction. And when we look at pelvic floor dysfunction, we look at pelvic floor weakness and tightness. And the weakness and tightness can present in many different symptoms or diagnoses. So it can either, you know, we discussed vestibulodynia, vaginismus, pubic dysfunction, tailbone pain, diastasis, endometriosis, um, scar tissue. We discussed a whole bunch of things that can result from pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, things that you can do for yourself. We went through some urinary techniques. We went through um, uh, bowel techniques and things uh, to protect your vulva. Um, and you know, strengthening and maintaining uh, strength in your transverse abdominis, in your pelvic floor are important. Um, and so I look forward to answering any of your questions. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for that incredible information and those practical tips. Um, so one question that came in, you didn't address it, and you, so maybe you can let us know if that was intentional or not. Or intentional or not. Can you please address kegels, kegels, however you want to pronounce them, and if they should be done or not? Okay, so I brought it up earlier. I didn't address it specifically and discuss how to do a Kegel because pain within, people who have pain with intimacy should not be doing Kegels. Um, they, when a pelvic floor, when people have pain with intimacy, we said that the pelvic floor muscles are too tight. And so Kegels are pelvic floor muscle exercises that 
tighten tighten the area. So the, the cue to do Kegels is to pull up or to or to stop your image stream or to stop the gas from passing. And all of that gives you closure in the pelvic floor. And when people have pain with intimacy, we don't want to be doing that. Um, after they, they're stretched and they're comfortable, or somebody who has a prolapse, those are the people who we want them doing Kegels and we want them strengthening. Um, but we, in, for purposes of pain with intimacy, we want to avoid Kegels until after their pelvic floor knows how to work. So we want the pelvic floor to be able to contract, but it also, once you've contracted, we want it to be able to relax and bulge. And so the challenge with pain with intimacy is that they're always in this contracted space and we want them to be able to, no, let's open and let's be able to, to be able to relax. Does that, does that address your question? Yes, thank you. If it doesn't, they will uh, ask again. Okay, do the bathroom suggestions for urinating apply to men as well? Yes. Okay. Does sleeping on the belly, is that good or bad for the pelvic floor? You mentioned the pillow between legs. How does sleeping on the belly? Okay, so sleeping on your belly is is not, after after the age of 25 it is not healthy to sleep on your belly because sleeping on your belly puts your spine in a this angle and that's compression we said while we're sleeping we want to give your body a time the time to restore and to lengthen so sleeping on your belly creates compression in the spine so we would rather avoid belly sleeping um, my belly sleepers, I'll recommend some. It's very hard for them to get used to something else because they've been sleeping on their belly a long time. So I'll recommend for them to put a pillow like on the side of their belly so that they're not fully on their belly, but they're, it's called semi-side um, semi sleeping where it's, it's halfway. It's not fully on their belly, but it's not fully on their side. Wait, wait, I can't hear you. Oh, thank you. I clicked the buttons. It's okay. All right. Anyways, thank you very much. Um, next question. How can one assure that the scar tissue after birth is in the right place before it hardens? Is there anything that we could do in advance? Are the doctors on top of that or it's just nature? Maybe you're scarred or maybe you're not. Um, okay, so it's natural to have scar tissue. Um, you want to have scar tissue and you want the scar tissue to be there because it closes your wounds, right? The we cannot touch the scar tissue within the first four to six weeks weeks post birth because we need the scar to, we need the wound to heal. That's the purpose of the scar tissue. It's doing its job. When after the doctor says that the wound is healed, then you can you can do your own. So if it's a C section, you can do your own scar massage from right to left on the C section scar. And if it's an episiotomy or a tear, then um, if you're familiar with perineal massage a lot of childbirth educators or coaches you know pre pre-delivery will recommend to their to to their class to do um, perineal massage and what that means is it's putting the finger um remember that picture that i showed okay um the finger at the open in that area between between the vaginal canal and the anus there's like a there's an area there and to use your fingers you put you're coming in from this angle so you put one finger in and one finger out and you kind of do something like this to help loosen up the scar and make sure that it's that it's soft so you're saying that after four to six weeks you can 
play around with the scar tissue a little bit yourself and just keep it soft. Yes, but I, I can't emphasize enough that the doctor must say it's healed. So please do not touch until you are sure that you are healed because you can do more damage than good. So please make sure that it is. I'm like scared to say it because I want to make sure they know that they must be healed and closed. It's a good time to actually to say something that I forgot to say in the beginning, even though I posted it in the chat, and that is please remember that this presentation is for education and any individual medical advice, please consult Dr. Safti or any other public fourth physical therapist, your doctor, Rav, please, please, please take these evenings for what they are, which is education, not individual medical advice. Okay. Um, <laughs> Next question. You say you shouldn't urinate more than five to seven times a day. What about when you're pregnant? I feel like I go 15 times a day. Okay, good question. When you're pregnant, those rules do not apply. Um, it depends where the baby is sitting. It depends It depends on how big your baby is, how much water you, you know, it doesn't, doesn't apply in pregnancy. That's okay. Okay, I never quite know how long the question is. So I got off the screen. Okay, <laughs> is sleeping with a pillow between knees enough, or does it also need to be between the ankles? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, yes, we want it between the ankles because if you do it just between the knees, then you're still compressing at the ankles, and then you're not getting that flat alignment. Okay. Next question, which is follow up to that. Is there a specific pillow that's good to get? How do I know what to get? How many inches thick does it need to be? Doesn't matter. Um, great question. Uh, so I, I recommend this is not like I don't, I'm not advertising, but um, I recommend uh, a strong bamboo pillow um, because when you get the set of bamboo pillow, you can empty as much bamboo as you like to make it as thick as, as comfortable for you. I, I don't, I never give a specific increase. It has to be comfortable. You have to feel, lie down and feel that, oh, this feels supportive. Um, what was was that the whole question? Yeah. Well, they also asked how many inches thick it should be. Like, is there a specific brand or type? Does it should be a Tempur-Pedic, a cushiony, uh, no, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, down so pillow? Whatever. Really, it has to just be as thick as as is comfortable for you. If it's very flat, that's obviously not doing anything. So it's got to be as thick as what makes you feel neutral, and you'll be able to feel that. Okay. Um, next question. Should we assume if there's any pain and intimacy that it's all related to the pelvic floor or could there be other factors coming into play? Okay, there's 100% other factors that can be coming into play. And that's why when we spoke about treatment, we spoke about a multidisciplinary approach. And for some of those diagnoses that we spoke about, a lot of times a physical therapist can't treat it alone, but we have to refer out to whether it's a doctor or a psychologist, um, depending on what it is. So it's not, um, pain with intimacy does not equal pelvic floor only. Um, how do you know what's other things? Meaning you have, if you have to consult a someone, well, if it's your primary care or if it's health, whatever, someone, you got to go to someone to address it. So in your field, you're only addressing the pain or the obstacles that may come up specifically with the pelvic floor. Would that right. be okay. Um, what another question just popped in? Let me just see. Okay. Can therapy help when someone had two abdominal surgeries 40 years ago? and is now suffering from incontinence. A hundred percent, hundred percent. 
So there's right. never such a thing as scar tissue being 40 years old too late. No. So yes, yeah, so that's a great point. So scar tissue, once it's once it's frozen, it's cold. Like if lapidavi was in the freezer for 10 years, you'd come out even if you have to be more gentle with it. But if you rubbed it between your fingers, it would warm up eventually and then you could work it. Right. Oh, wait, I can't hear you. I was just looking to see if there's any other questions, but I think we've actually wrapped it up. Um, there's one more point that I did not bring up when we were talking about self-care that's important to know, but after um, after being together, it's very important to use the bathroom afterwards. Um, whatever it is. Um, so just that's one of the things that you should just know. Okay, I think that is all of our questions. Dr. Safdie, you were incredibly informative and incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for presenting tonight. I hope everyone was able to find something here that can help you. But remember, it's all for education and please you know, consult individually if you need help. Thank you so, so much. Remember to follow us at, at mymikva, follow us on Facebook, mikva.org, join our broadcast, 732-534-2948. Dr. Safti, did you have a slide with your contact information if someone had individual or private questions that they wanted addressed? I oh, it's on the handout. That's right, okay. Oh, it's on the handout. Also, remember that underneath this video stream, there's a link for the handout. If you click click here, Dr. Safti um, prepared a handout for you for take-home information for Velva Health and a few of the slides that came through today on practical things you could do at home, along with her contact information for any private or personal questions. Is there any closing remarks, Dr. Safti? Um, no, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank mikva.org for their tremendous dedication to the women of our community. I'm always floored by everything that you guys do, and I feel just so lucky that, that we have you. So I want to thank you. Thank you. And we have so much coming up and I encourage everyone to follow us because there is so much in store. Thank you so much, Dr. Safdie and good night to everybody. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.